Hey, how's it going? It's your man, Christopher the Rupal. And if you're hearing this, you're probably like, oh, wait, why is there a weird intro here? Well, uh, before Drunken Book Club became what it is now, where we get drunk, talk about kids' books, and other such things, the original Drunken Book Club was this style and format, where I used to read, like, almost, like, five books, like, three to five books in a month. And I wanted to talk about them, but I was very... What's the word? Uh, shy? Didn't think I was like smart enough to actually talk about these books without getting drunk first and having a jovial time about it. So this is where the this incarnation of Drunken Book Club is. There's about a couple handfuls of the handful uh, of these episodes. I think they're fun. I did not want to get rid of them when we became Drunken Book Club. Uh, originally speaking of which, um, so here it is enjoy and these are the new socials dbc underscore pod for the twitter account and our new patreon is patreon.com slash drunken book club think about supporting us it it may uh improve further stuff yada 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 okay uh bye Hello and welcome back to Speaking of Which, episode I don't remember because this is a drunken book club, volume 4, if I, if memory serves correctly. I'm actually very drunk this time around, that's why I have such a high and proper voice. Now before we start our drunken book club, uh, I will say what I pre-gamed on and what I'm currently drinking. I pre-gamed a little bit on a apple cider drink called a grasshopper. It is a fermented apple cider drink with lemongrass, and it's was not one I really enjoyed. I only drank about maybe a maybe a quarter of it. It had a bit. It was a bit too sour for my taste. That lemongrass you could really taste in there, and it was just too much. Too much for Chris. Oh yeah, my name is Christopher the Rupal. Hey, welcome back to Drunken Book Club Volume 4. I pre-gamed with that, and I also pre-gamed with an actual drink that I finished, which was a Manhattan uh, I picked up a pre-made Manhattan mix that you just mix in with some uh, whiskey, and it was a little too strong for my taste, so like I like I do, like Chris do, I added a little bit of the Mio, which if you don't know what Mio is, it's the stuff you squirt in water to make it have a good flavor to it. Uh, I added the berry grape one to it, and... It was still very strong. I, I may have added a little too much whiskey. I mean, I, I followed the instructions exact. It's literally uh, two parts whiskey, one part Manhattan mix. It was not my thing. Maybe I could add more of the Manhattan mix. I don't know. Wasn't my thing. I drank it all, though. I'm feeling very tipsy because it was two shots of whiskey with two... With only... Not really two shots. It was half a cup of whiskey and a quarter cup of the mix um that's what i used because it said two ounces to one ounce and i was like you know what i'm gonna double it just so it can be fit into a glass a little better 
I drank it as fast as I could to get it over with, and it was very powerful. And now I am drinking a... <clears throat> I'm currently drinking my own concoction that I love to drink every... I tr this is going to probably be the most common drink I have on Drunken Book Club. Is the Long Island Iced Tea kind of pre-mix. It's... I really like them. And this time I actually went out and actually got a Captain Morgan one. And this one really works well with the flavored drinks that I get. Like, I like to mix them with a, 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 a berry mix to kind of make a kind of flavored iced tea, which is kind of what I like, you know. And I mix it with the orange one. And boom! Boom! Call you got that good stuff. It's pretty good. It's very good. So, with that in motion, I did my pregame. I'm actually pretty drunk right now. Um, if you can't tell from my voice, I'm very drunk. I am not sick. My voice is deepened because I am drunk, not because I am sick. If I were sick, I would not be drinking. I'm smarter than that. But, for this week's Drunken Book Club, the books I read, in order of, of not really appearance, but of when I finished them, are... Michael Crichton's The Lost World. Junji Ito story collection Frankenstein that includes a couple of his stories. The Pride of Shandor by C.J. Sh Sherry? I want to say her name's Cherry Sherry. Pierre Bouillet's Planet of the Apes. A comic book by the name of Transmetropolitan by Warren Ellis and, and drawn by Derek Robertson. The Amityville Horror by Jay Anson. Oh, sorry, sorry. The Amityville Horror, a true story by Jay Anson. Like, Anson. And finally, to wrap things up, it'll be The Flintstones by Mark Russell and drawn by Steve Puga? Puga? Puga Puga? Puga? I can't pronounce your last name. I apologize. I didn't look it up. So, we will start from the beginning, and y'all might be very surprised to find out I actually started taking notes on these. Um, hold on one second. Ugh. It is a cold day in Tucson, so I decided, hey, I'm going to turn off the fan and wear a turtleneck, and that was a terrible idea. Turtlenecks are for people, so people can know out there are shirts you wear, so people know you have a neck. I have a neck, folks. It's true. I'm not Steven of Steven Universe. But I started taking notes in these books. Because, uh, why not? You know? It's, it's, it's kind of important because I feel like I miss a lot of stuff. And I also do have random thoughts, like, in the, in, throughout the day or even when reading it. Of what's so kind of, like, good about these books or what might be something that I might want to say and forgot about. And for Michael Graydon's The Lost World, I'm just going to say it up front. Jurassic Park is one of my favorite books, and this is the first time I've ever actually read The Lost World. But the thing with this is, I've owned this copy of The Lost World. I think I've owned this since middle school. So I want to say I got this book at about 2005, is how long I've owned this book. This is the same copy I have owned since my mom was like, Alright, I'll buy it for you. 
Here you go, Chris. I don't know why she sounds like Marge Simpson. A very terrible Marge Simpson. But, yeah. This is my first time actually reading The Lost World. I've read the Jurassic Park at least two... Maybe th three times? No, I've only read it two times. I, I started reading it in middle school, never finished it. I finished it in high school, really liked it. And I finished reading it again uh, just this year, actually, as a second time read. This was when I was kind of getting back into reading again. But it was before... It was literally months before I started Drunken Book Club. But I digress. Uh, the Lost World is... It's it's pretty good. Yeah, I'm gonna drop the accent now. <laughs> I'm not that drunk anymore. I'm, I'm actually pretty drunk, so it's kind of hard to keep it up while talking. But The Lost World is a sequel book that... I'm gonna look at my notes real quick, and it just... The first thing I said is The Lost World is a popcorn novel. Not much, not much substance, but damn, is it entertaining. It's really freaking... It's really freaking fun. Like, I don't know why, but... Michael Crichton has a way with building a really good story and making characters very fun to read. While also just being just a fun read in general. Like, I don't know. I've read only two of his other books. Yeah, I've only read Congo and Jurassic Park. And I want to read more of his books. I actually do have kind of... A couple of them like stored away of just like oh maybe I'll read this maybe I won't who knows but I'm glad I finally picked up The Lost World because this was a really good little pickup read like it was it's I was gonna say it's short no it felt short but it is not a short book it is my copy at least is 430 pages long this this ladies and gentlemen means this is the longest book as far as I can think of this is the longest book I've ever read in my life. Yeah, I don't really read long books. I try to keep my books at least up to like the 300 area. But I'm glad I read this one. It was a lot of fun. It, It's a blockbuster. Like I said, it's a popcorn book. It's a blockbuster book. It's, a, it's more of a sequel to the movie than it is to the book. I mean, it is a, it is a good sequel to the book itself. And, you know, I'm going to take a look at my notes real quick, so... So, to kind of give you a quick description of this, if you haven't read Jurassic Park, what are you doing? Or if you haven't read or watched it, what are you doing here? Stop. Go watch Jurassic Park or read it. I don't care. Both are really freaking good. I love Jurassic Park. It's actually one of my favorite books. Just because it's just one of those perfectly paced techno thrillers. And while this one was really fun to read, it's not as good, successful, like, kind of continuation. Like, it's a good book. But I feel like it's it's a blockbuster. It, it was meant to make a blockbuster movie. That's what this book was made for. It was made to continue on the series so they could make a sequel and make money. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching! But at the same time, I feel like there was a lot of effort put into this book. Um, I'm trying to not to, like... I, I do my best not to describe the books for you guys. I try to just give it a quick review and kind of my thoughts and maybe some scenes I liked. But I really do want to start talking about the like, actual plot of this stuff, but I, you know, this isn't the time for this one. My Crichton's The Lost World. Yeah. But you know what? I'm going to read one of my favorite notes. A raptor ate a candy bar and liked it. And he gets pissed when it finds an empty raptor, which is a, actually a 
uh, Chekhov's gun for later, which I thought was kind of weird. Like, there's some weird things in this book. So, it, it's pretty much, yes, they're returning to the to the Site B island. Not Site A, this is where the... This is the site where they decided we're going to... Like, you know what? This filled in some gaps that the first book left out. You know, it's like... When you read the first Jurassic Park, you're like, how are they able to make perfect... Like, each time the eggs are hatching, you know? How are we able to show that? Like, I feel like that's kind of weird, right? Like, I never really thought about that until, like, I read it in this book of, like... Site B is where they actually make all the dinosaurs, and they know that the embryos have gone through on the eggs, and they send it to the Site A to actually hatch and stuff, and, you know, be part of the presentation. While Site B throws away all the duds and keeps, you know, some of them and lets them out so they can be like, okay, we'll, we'll get them back when they're a little bit older so we can have them be part of the actual island experiment. Which I thought was pretty cool. Like, I think it answered a question that I didn't necessarily have, but maybe some other people had with the original Jurassic Park. That's, that's something I thought was pretty cool. Another note, and like, another thing that I kind of noticed was like, like what I said with the raptor eating the candy bar and it liked it, I thought that was going to go somewhere. Like, they, like maybe the raptors killed the people there or something, and like they're like, oh shit, we have nothing else to eat, and like we're not really good at hunting yet, but we're able to climb inside these candy machines and eat candy, and like that's why like they kind of like were bred to be kind of, like they, they were bred more and more. And we're, like, kind of, like, hyperactive and shit. Because, like, in this book, the raptors are straight-up slasher villains. They're not like how the first book, they were methodical, very smart and stuff. But, no, they do answer that the, in this book, they're actually kind of suffering from something kind of like mad cow disease. They're, somber, they're suffering because of what they ate as babies. Which I thought was pretty creative, pretty smart. Like, that's the thing with Michael Crichton books. He does his work with with science fiction and I think that's pretty freaking cool um but yeah so like the raptors are kind of fucking crazy and shit because they kind of have a weird disease like so when they, when they fed the baby dinosaurs you know when you feed baby uh herbivores you can you know give them milk and shit like that and then like start getting them into grains and stuff but with the carnivores you know, they gave them milk and shit, but then they were like, okay, let's give them some meat, and you know, start getting them used to stuff. And, you know, normally, in a zoo environment, you give animals uh, chicken, you know, very... Uh, chicken that's been, um, you not used, but, um, it's like, it, it's got antibiotics and shit, so it's not infected with shit, and doesn't get the animal sick, you know, that and, like, cows, but mostly chicken. Well, in this one, they gave the animals sheep. And unfortunately, sheep do carry a certain, like, kind of like a mad cow-like disease that can affect its host, the, the animals that are eating it. And that's what's happening with the poor velociraptors. They are going fucking, they're literally going mad cow crazy and shit and infecting other animals. So that's kind of a cool little thing. So, you know... It also kind of just just proves Ian, because Ian Malcolm is back, even though he died in the first book, he didn't actually die apparently, that his chaos theory is kind of like, well, chaos happened, 
Uh-oh, chaos. Uh-oh, all chaos berries. <laughs> oops, all berries. Nope, oops, all chaos. <laughs> that's not gonna be funny. Like, I'm drunk, I think that's funny, but I don't think it's gonna actually be funny. So some other things I kind of have notes on is they wasted my homeboy's Carnotosaurus. Which, if you don't know what a Carnotosaurus is, I'm probably pronouncing that bad, I'm sorry. It's, if you've ever watched Disney Dinosaurs, Disney's Dinosaur, it's the, it's the kind of like, they're kind of like T-Rexes with the horns. And they kind of did them dirty in this book. They weren't in it that often, and when they finally were, they were chameleons for some reason, which I found out later why they had like chameleon, chameleon, those are big quotes right there, of like blending in with their environment. It's because Michael Crichton wanted to see how they would make that inside the movie. You bastard, Michael. You suck. <laughs> they did dirty my, my Carnotosaurus, and that's why he's a shit-eater in freaking Jurassic Park 3. Uh, some other notes I have. So, this is a flaw. I, I look at my note, and I realize there is a big flaw with The Lost World. With Jurassic Park, they had good build-up. Where you knew about these things, and they were told about. There was a lot of foreshadowing. And then later on, it would kind of build up, build up, build up, build up, build up. And then be like, holy shit, it finally happened. Oh my god, this is actually scary. What the fuck? Oh god. Like, it's like when the freaking T-Rex attack finally happens in the first Jurassic Park. That had my help. My help. My heart pounding like crazy. It was such a crazy scene, seeing like these... You know, even though I've seen the movie a million times, the mo the book still explains it in such a way that's, like, so crazy. This one, it feels rushed. It feels like the suspense isn't really there. Like, I already know about Velociraptors being dangerous. Maybe if they had, like, built up on the idea of, you know, maybe they... Like, with the Carnosaurus, there are dinosaurs out there that we can't see because they might be camouflaged or even be, like... Like, how, I don't know how they would do it, but be like, you know, the, there's, you know, maybe even start off with Malcolm being like, you know, uh, fucking moths, they developed, you know, camouflage over time, this proves chaos theory, I don't fucking know, but something like that, to kind of further the idea, you know, and make us be like, oh my god, they were foreshadowing that later, and be like, <laughs> my heart is pounding from fear, you know. Holy shit, that's scary. You know, instead of being like, oh, it happened. Oh no, that character died. I feel sad now. I'm not really scared, but I am definitely sad. Ah. Uh... Yeah. It, that's one of the things that really felt it lacked in this book. Uh, something else I will compliment about this book is, you know, one of the, not even the first pages, but like even before the book starts... There's actually a map of where everything happens. Like, legit. Like, I have a, a paperback cover of it. If you own, like, the hardback, you probably have a bigger picture of it. But there's actually a nice map that you can kind of go back to and be like, Oh, that's where the T-Rex nest is. And, oh, that's where everything is. I gotta give them credit where credit is due. That's pretty fucking cool. That Michael Crichton would even include that. I, I, I remember when I opened the book, I was like, oh, there's a map, that's cool, and just skipping through it. 
actually had to go back in when I read uh, a couple of Snopes, uh, not Snopes, TV Tropes is one of my favorite things to kind of go, like after I finish reading a book, I'll go to TV Tropes so I can like, you know, maybe if I miss something, oh, I missed something. And it was, that was one of the things they did point out was that, um, the, that there was the map and it actually had a, it actually locate, like kind of to showed you where everything was. And I was like, I actually had to look closer and was like, oh, that's where... The caves are. That's where uh, Dodgeon lands. You know, Dodgeon lands and stuff. You know, that was one of the cooler parts of this book. One of those cool little things I can be like, that's pretty neat. And my final note is the ending felt rushed. I'm going to say this up front. Like, legit. Um, the last 30 pages are how the book ends. There's no... Like, I feel like they did good. There's no, like, oh, they got back to land and something, you know, happened or anything. Or even, like, a, oh, yeah, they're out of danger, but, oh, no, something else happened. It feels very rushed and very bland, you know? It feels un unfulfilled is almost the way I would put it. Is that the last, last couple chapters feel dull, feel boring. There's no risk. There's no... I don't know, there's just nothing to it. It makes me a little sad, yeah. But at the same time, I will still admit that I really like this book. Uh, I'm going to start, you know, this is going to be something I'm going to start with the, with this Drunken Book Club. Is I'm going to start rating these books on a scale of 1 to 5. 1 being absolute garbage and can't finish. And 5 being Jurassic Park it is like my top tier. The Lost World, where it had some good moments in there, it had very methodical things put in, and very... It's good science fiction. I won't lie. I really like Jurassic World, or The Lost World. I'm going to give this one a 4 out of 5. If you're a fan of Jurassic Park, pick it up if you've never picked it up, and were kind of like scared to pick it up because you were like, oh, the movie Lost World sucked. This one's actually a lot of fun. It does take a while to get to the dinosaurs like the first book, which if you like that, you know, they, that's just right for you. It is action-packed. It is fast and gripping. But at the same time, I feel like it's kind of lackluster, though. You know, I do have my complaints that the ending is rushed and that there's no build-up to the actual scary parts. Because the first Jurassic Park was a thriller. This one's more of a science fiction book, if that makes sense. Like, yes, there's some scary moments in there, but there's nothing making me go, oh my god, I can't believe that happened. So that's why it kind of gets that 4 out of 5. It lacks that je ne sais quoi, I do not know. It lacks that kind of scariness, if you would. But it's still a really good book, and if you like Jurassic Park, I recommend picking it up. For... Oh, you know what? I also started doing this because, like, in the first Drunken Book Club, I kind of talked about, like, I would start making a tally of what books had vomiting, pissing, and shitting. This book has all four and then some. There is puke. It, you don't see it happen, but it is insinuated that one of the characters does puke. There's piss and shit in a single scene where parasaurs have a latrine that they, you know, let everything out. And then the other is T-Rex anal musk that's white and gross and disgusting. I'm going to be true as well. This is the only book 
out of all of them that I think had that. So let us continue. We're going to continue to the next book I read this month. Is Junji Ito story collection Frankenstein and other collected stories. Um, if you've never read a Junji Ito book, what are you doing here? Stop. Stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> uh, Junji Ito is a manga, a horror manga artist from Japan. Duh. If you don't know what manga is, it's 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 Japanese comic books. It's a nice way of putting it. It's the it's the layman's terms of it. And Junji Ito is kind of the. I would say he's the Stephen King of horror stuff for Japan for this kind of stuff, and he did he got to do his own adaption of Frankenstein, and this is also a collection of some of his other stories. It's actually part of a hardbound collector's edition from Viz Media. It's a Viz Viz signature one, so that's pretty cool, and I actually really like it. It's actually really freaking. It's nice. Uh, if there's one thing I can compliment from this book, even before reading this book, is that I really like how Viz has been re releasing Junji Ito stories by kind of putting them into collections. Because I own the 3-in-1 uh, Uzumaki collection, which co it contains all of the story of Uzumaki by Junji Ito, along with some like story notes and a bonus chapter that wasn't very good. But Frankenstein, I'm going to kind of rush this one through just because there's some good moments and stuff like that but i kind of want to just talk about each story it's going to be with this one it's more based off of the short stories that are inside here because this is what it is junji ito kind of makes short stories and that's what um this is it's, it's a short story collection you know the frankenstein it's it's literally the story of frankenstein mary shelley's frankenstein it's a gorgeous adaption the monster is, it, it really is just a good adaption of Mary Shelley's kind of vision of it in Junjito's way. You know, without without saying much, Victor Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein is a beautiful Bushido, which is, it's, it's common for Junjito to do that. He tends to draw men very beautifully because he does, originally he did draw for, um, I forget what the opposite of Shonen is, the girl version. He used to draw for that first, actually. So that's why he kind of... And he's always had kind of a beautiful way of doing things. Um, the monster, he... I think he... This is probably the best looking of the monsters I've seen. Because I've watched the Universal Monsters. And I've watched the... Uh, the Robert De Niro version. I, know, I, I, like, I like calling it the Robert De Niro version. But the one where Robert De Niro is the monster. And I think how Junji Ito drew the monster... Is probably the closest you know you see these grotesque stitchings you know the pus and bloody filled stitches of this creature covered in bandages it's just a grotesque yet beautiful but I'm gonna say it up front there is one glaring flaw with this story with the with the Junji Ito's adaption of Frankenstein you don't feel sorry for the monster all that much which, and I've never read Frankenstein. I'll say that up front. But I know that in the original book, you do kind of feel sorry. You should feel sorry for the monster because he just wants to feel normal. He wants to feel accepted. He wants to feel like he belongs. Like, you know, I mean, I, I think we all can agree with that, you know? <laughs> and 
with this adaption, I think how grotesque he made him look. And also, I put in my notes, he has the Junji Ito smile, which... It, there's not real things to make up, but like if you read it, if you read his works, you know what I'm talking about. But he tends to like if he wants to make a character a little extra creepy, he'll give them this like very toothy, very frightening smile, that's like almost Cheshire Cat like, but is horrifying. And like because he's so grotesque, I can't feel sorry for him. Like he's so. It, it, maybe I'm just missing the point, you know? Maybe. Even through and through, he does want to be human, but he just can't be because he is a monster. He is a creature created by man. He's something that God didn't create and that man created. And man can create only one thing. Destruction and not beauty. You can quote me on that one right there. Drunken Book Club. Man create can only create destruction, not beauty. So I'm going to kind of just say that the Frankenstein adaption is gorgeous and it's really freaking good. And then there's a lot of other short stories, which I'm going to just give a quick description of. Uh, almost all of them are from a kind of collect... They're, they're kind of a collection of, of a Oshikire series is, is what I called it. I don't know if it has a specific name, but it, it's it's based around a boy and kind of multiple different parallel universes and stuff like that. I'll just leave it at that. I do recommend the Oshikiri series that's in Frankenstein. It's really freaking brutal. But the first one is called Neck Spectre. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say what my notes say because I don't want to give away anything because that's the thing with with Junji Ito stories. They're very Twilight zone -y. If you give away the ending, you ruin the story. So I'm going to just say what I feel about them. So the next Spectre. A weird Japanese-like retelling of a telltale heart. It's kind of a stretch. Dot, dot, dot. That's a pun related to it. Wink, wink, wink. Bog of Living Spirits. It's an interesting ghost story, nothing too scary. Nice when legend, when, I, I can't fucking read my own handwriting, I'm fucking awful, I'm sorry. Pen Pal. It's a trippy mind screw story. There aren't any death scenes, or, wait, what? Oh, great death scene, yet very anticlimactic. Intruder is the next story. Creepy anticlimactic ending. Alternate dimensional fun. The strange tale of Oshikiri. And this one is the one that kind of like tells what the fuck is going on with Oshikiri. Because it's kind of weird. If you read the stories, you're like, why is the same character kind of reappearing? Good body horror. Good flow. Near perfect Oshikiri story. The walls. Good and creepy. Good and creepy twist ending. And that's all of the Oshikiri stories. Uh, if I have to say anything, it's revolves around a boy and there's just different stories that kind of revolve around him. It's almost like PG-13 Goosebumps, I would say. Let's leave it at that. And like it revolves around the same kid. Yet different dimensions. That's the cool part. So then there's 
two more horror stories. Or actually, there's one more horror story. Oh no, there's two more horror stories. And then a non-horror, two more non-horror stories. The Hell of the Doll Funeral. Let me repeat that. The Hell of the Doll Funeral. Creepy ending. Kind of creepy. I, I can't read that. I need to write slowly. And more fucking pronounced. Face firmly in place. Good down-to-earth horror. I'll say that one up front. That one was actually really scary in a real-life sense where everything else is more like supernatural and like ghost story-like. That one was really good. And then the Nanan stories. Nanan is a dog that his mother had. Those ones are fucking cute and worth the purchase of this book. Five out of five. Oh, it's so cute, cute, cute. But no, no, no. If I really had to say it uh, for the Junji Ito Frankenstein story collection, I'd say it's worth a purchase. If you like horror, if you like... If, if you're trying to get more into Junji Ito and you don't know where to go after wherever you've written... Definitely recommend it. You know, I would actually say purchase one of his other works and then see if you like it. If you like it, then pick it up. Four out of five. I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm going to drink some water because my voice is a little cracky. I'm going to try not to focus on my, my notes too much. I meant to read those beforehand, but I didn't think about that. And now I'm kind of like in a weird position about it. So the next book is The Pride of Shandur. It is a sci-fi novel. It's it's a high sci-fi. In the... I don't know if I would if that's the proper term for it. But it's a high sci-fi. So they kind of almost speak like... I'm just going to say it up front. I didn't finish this book. I had a hard time reading it. I had a hard... Like, it, it was just... I'm going to read what my note says. It's not a... Fun. It's not a fun of what? Sorry, I'm not a fan of high fantasy, high sci-fi writing. What I mean by that is that the writing is kind of different. It's kind of more. It's not. It's not what you would read in a normal book. It's kind of like a lot of those and them, or it's kind of speaking in their own articulate language. You know. And the thing is, maybe it's because. This kind of writing goes over my head. You know, it's... But how it's written just feels too wordy and confusing for me. And that was one of my problems with this book. Like, I really wanted to like it. I really wanted to read a sci-fi book that takes place kind of like on a... Almost... On a very almost, um... Star Trek kind of world. You know, where it's like, I'm not familiar with this plane. But because it's just so weirdly worded, and because it's just not my thing, I couldn't enjoy it. Like, I have a hard time reading Lord of the Rings by my on my own, you know? This is just something that made it... Like, I, I wanted to like this book. I'm going to say this up front. It's not like when I read or tried to read One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and I immediately hated it. I read the first page and it was like, or the first chapter, I was like, I'm going to keep reading this because, you know what? This is going to build up to a really cool story. But it was just weird. Like, here, I'm just going to read you the first sentence. And I'm going to ask you, what do you think of it? There had been something loose about the station dock all morning. 
skulking in amongst the gantries and the lines and the canisters, which were waiting to be moved, lurking wherever shadows fell among the rampway accesses of the many ships that dock at meat point. That just feels overly wordy, you know? It could have been shortened, it could have been more simplified. But, you know, maybe it's because this book wasn't made for me. Um, I'm going to let Sam read this one, see what she thinks. I wanted to like the work of CJ Cheryl. Sherry. I apologize. Sh Shara? Sherry? She seems like a really cool author. And, like, what I've read about her work, she builds on these great worlds and universes. And stuff like that. But it's just, I couldn't get into this one. And this seemed like a good jumping point for her work. But in the end, it was just too wordy and just not exciting. Like, not even, it wasn't exciting. It was just blah. And even when the, I read to the third chapter. I read 20 something, like, no, I read 31 pages into this book. And that's kind of like my stopping point is like, if I get through a chapter, a couple chapters, and I'm not into it, like, I, I usually will stop after the third chapter, and that'll be kind of my deciding point, is if I'm going to keep reading or not. And with this one, I just couldn't get into it. I thought, maybe it's because it went over my head, like I said, maybe not, but it just, it's not written for someone like me. I'll just say it like that. It's not written for someone like me. So unfortunately, this is the... First book in a while that I started and couldn't finish. The rest of the books in this in this episode I did finish though, for what it's worth. But the Pride of Chandur, 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 I just didn't like it, and I really wanted to like it. That's what that's what breaks my heart the most, because I actually picked up the second book in this trilogy or quadrilogy I can't remember, and was like I don't understand what's going on, and then I found out that it was a trilogy. And I was just like, oh, I thought it was because I was stupid, you know? But no, it's because it's like the middle of a fucking trilogy. No, it's because I'm stupid, probably. Yeah. But with that, I actually picked up a sci-fi book that I have read in the past. And really enjoyed. And the next one after that was Planet of the Apes. Which, if you listen to the previous Drunken Book Club, you... There was a rambling of me going, I don't want to read Stupid Bridge Over River Quay. Ooh. You know, like I was crying over that with because my English teacher in my senior year was like, oh, you should be reading that, not Planet of the Apes. Because he did, he, he was very, you should be reading books. I'm forcing you guys to have a reading time and also, hey, make sure to report back to me about what you read. No book reports, but hey, this is what you read, right? This is one of the books that I did read, was Planet of the Apes. And he made the comment of, oh, I really enjoyed the river, the, the bridge over River Quay, and I really enjoyed the movie. You should be reading that, not this. And I think it's because he was very pro-non-science fiction, not down to like, like, I don't know, maybe it's not that. I'm not going to get into that. I'm going to, going to save that for another time. But the thing with The Planet of the Apes is it's a very well-written book. 
It was originally written in French and is translated into English for us stupid Americans. And also British, British people. Because I found out recently what this book was titled in the UK. Now I'm going to tell you guys. You need to like grab your seatbelts and plug in. Because the title for the UK version of Planet of the Apes is Monkey Planet. You have no idea. If I had found a book called Monkey Planet in like fucking from 6 to now, I would read that immediately. Because that is the greatest title for a book. But that is not a good title for this book. I'm just going to say that up front. Monkey Planet is not what this is. No, this is Planet of the Fucking Apes. But Monkey Planet, holy shit, is a great title for... It's just a great title. I want to make a book called Monkey Planet and sell it. Planet of the Apes is one of those weirdly sophisticated sci-fi books. It's it, it's definitely of its time. It's a very 1960s-style sci-fi book where it's... Not, it, it has a good, tw it has some twists and turns in there and stuff. And you need to separate it from the movies. Because this is not the movie. This is not Earth all along. It was Earth all along. Oh my gosh, I was wrong. Oh, you surely made a monkey. Yes, we finally made a monkey. Yes, you finally made a monkey out of me. I can't hit that note right now. I love you, Dr. Zayas. Sorry for the Simpsons reference. I needed to get that out of my system as soon as possible. But this is a very eloquent, it's a very... It's almost written like a memoir, because it is pretty much a single person's memoir of their life and living during this time of, like, so let me kind of, if you've never, I have to separate the book from the movie, because it's very different from each other. They're very different. They are. I'm just going to say that up front. You know, they're going to pat to the... They're going to the sun, Beetlejuice, or Beetlegeist, I don't... I'm, I'm just going to say Beetlejuice, because that's how it... I'm pretty sure that's how it's pronounced. And they find a planet that's kind of, you know, similar to ours, but they find out that the evolutionary chain is different from our own. That apes, you know, chimpanzees, and gorillas, and orangutans are in charge, and they're the evolutionary top dogs. And it's like... Uh, and stuff like that. Um, but then you find out later what the true purpose of uh, uh, what actually happens. And it's like, this is actually really freaking smart. So spoilers. So the thing is, the apes aren't the ones who are dominant because they're the ones who evolved that way. No. Humans were actually humans. You know, quote unquote on this shit were the ones who were kind of these intelligent beings in this, but they got so lazy over time that, and they taught apes how to do certain things, apes started evolving while we started devolving. 
it's very strong commentary of like we need to stop folk we need to continue furthering ourselves or else we're gonna end up like stupid animals and I, I, I don't know if that's kind of the point of this, is that, like, that's what's going on with this. But the message of this is, like, stop acting stupid, stop letting technology be, like, or stop... You have to keep continuing technology. You can't let it stagnate us. It's almost like a Wally story of, like, we can't let us get comfortable. We need to be furthering ourselves as human beings. We need to stop killing and doing... I was going to say killing the planet. Well, we need to stop doing that, yes. But we need to stop being lazy and having others do our work. At this point in our evolutionary chain, I would say that we're having robots do a lot of our mundane work. And they might start getting, you know, some form of artificial intelligence and start growing above us. You know, I'm, I'm just going to say that up front. I think this book... Is very smart in that way that I don't even know really. I will, I'm gonna say it like this: that this book is very smart, but it might be too smart for its own good. That's just me though. Like it's saying, like I I think he didn't think ahead of the whole robots are gonna replace it. It's like no, we're gonna train monkeys and apes to do our jobs, but then they're gonna get smarter than us. And you know what? We're kind of at that point where we're having robots do a lot of our mundane work and stuff. That we're not furthering ourselves in any shape or form. And that's really deep coming from like a book from the fucking 60s, you know? Of like, oh, we're going to train monkeys to fucking do this shit, you know? Like, it, it's definitely a social satire of that kind of idea. And... I think he really knew what he was talking about. Like, it's weird to say that he knew what he was talking about. He just had it wrong. That it would be technology that would ruin us more than, you know, us training apes. I don't know. I recommend this one. This is actually going to be a top tier 5 out of 5 for me. That is a must read. You must read this book. Like, it's got a lot of... It's got some funny moments in there. But at the same time, it's a very smart and very well-written book. It's very eloquent with the way it's written. It's almost like a memoir. You know, it's written like a memoir, which, you know, technically is. And, you know, if, and, and hell, even if you're just a fan of the Planet of the Apes, read where it kind of started, you know? It's different from what it, what it became, yes, but it's still really freaking good. Like... I don't know. I was... Like, I thought I was stupid for really liking this as a teenager. But no. This is a really smart fucking book. And it actually makes me go... We need to stop having... We need to stop having robots kind of be our... Our proving points of like... Oh, we need to, we need to make them do our mundane jobs and stuff. So we as humans can't do anything. No. I'm going to take a quick break. Because I have to pee like a racehorse. There are three stories left. They should be really fast. So with that, hey, so I'm back from outer space. Oh, you did Should have changed that stupid lock. Should have changed that. Yeah, I'll survive. I will survive.
So I am back. So the next book I read was The Beginning of Transmetropolitan. I I'm gonna be truthful on this one. I've been wanting to reread Transmetropolitan for a while. And I thought, hey, you know, I, I need to read a graphic novel because I was you know, if you look at my pile, it was like, I need to read something American graphic novel-wise. Like, I could have probably just gotten away with not reading two comic books on this. But I was like, you know what? It's been a while since I've read Transmetropolitan, and I want to read it again. And unfortunately, I've only read the two trade paperbacks of it. And this is kind of where I've started and stopped again. I read Transmetropolitan Back on the Streets. Which, if you want to know where that lands us, it's issues one through three of Transmetropolitan. I don't know how to describe this one. It really is kind of hard for me to describe. Like, I didn't even take notes on this, because I, I was like, I don't know how to describe this, you know? And I read it a week ago. Like, legit. Like, you know, with, with Drunken Book Club, I read about a month's worth of books for me. And I try to just be like, okay, what's this about? What's this making me feel? How? Yada, yada, yada kind of thing. And with Transmetropolitan, this one is just, it has me hooked and ready to read the next part. And I, you know, I almost want to stop reading or adding comic books to Dragon Book Club and just be like, oh yeah, I also read this or that and I recommend it. Because it's hard for me to describe comic books, you know, certain ones. And Transmetropolitan is definitely one of those ones that's hard for me to describe. Because it is definitely a cyberpunk future kind of story that's very relatable to our own time in certain weird ways. Yet, it's one of those ones that's hard to relate, like be relatable to us as, you know, normal readers. So, I'm just going to leave it at, I really like Transmetropolitan Back on the Street, but I recommend it, but I don't know how to describe it. So my apologies to everyone out there. Sorry! It's just hard to describe. Yeah, I think I'm going to stop graphic novels after this one, depending on what it is. So next up is the Amityville Horror. And, you know, out of all these books, this is one that was, I actually picked up from Bookman's. Like, I, I'll say this, like, you, okay, you know what? I'm going to say where I got all my books, you know. You know, Lost World, I picked that up from, like, a Savers from a long-ass time ago. Not even Savers, no. It was a thrift shop that made my mom used to visit. Go and visit, you know, because it was born my middle school. Sorry. And I was like, you know, Mama, Mama, can I buy this book? And my mom would always buy me books, no matter what kind of thing. With Frankenstein, I bought that off of Amazon. With the Planet of the Apes, I picked that off of eBay. I don't remember the specific buyer. But Amityville Horror, I actually got from Bookman's, which I've said before is a local Tucsonan, actually technically Arizonan, uh, used bookstore slash kind of thrift shop. And I remember picking this one up because, like, I usually, whenever we go to Bookman's, me and Sam... Shout out to Berserker Rose, Sam. We go, you know, we go to Bookman's, not super often, but every now and then. And I will, I I have my usual spots. You know, I look through the horror section and the sci-fi fantasy section and see if anything catches my eyes. And if they do, they do. If they don't, they don't. 
And then I also go to the... Like, the, this is one of the few times I actually go to the nonfiction section. Because I like to look at the paranormal slash folklore and that kind of area section. And this one was in there. And I was like, oh, I've kind of always wanted to read the Amityville Horror. More out of curiosity than anything. Because I've actually never seen any of the Amityville Horror movies. So this is going to be one of those few times I've never seen the movie. And wanted to read the book first kind of thing. Like, I don't do that normally. Like, in the upcoming month, I probably will. But this is one of those ones where I was like, I've never read the read the book. But the story of Amityville had me interested. And I listened to the last podcast on the left. And I'm pretty sure they did actually do a episode on Amityville Horror of how it was bullshit. And after the, reading the book, I can firmly say, of my own opinion, they're totally fucking right. They made this shit up so fucking much. Like, oh my god, it's so obvious that they made this shit up. Like, or the, the guy who wrote this made this shit up. Like, it's been kind of confirmed that he said this already, but I'm going to read you my notes. Because there's not a lot that, like, pertains to the story. Almost every chapter ends with a shocking revelation and exclamation point. That's that's one of those things I have noticed in this book. Is that here I'm gonna go to an end of a chapter. So end of chapter eight. George bent down. He heard slow canine snoring. It was only six in the morning, and Harry was fast asleep. Exclamation point. Out of context, that makes no fucking sense. In context, it makes sense. But at the same time, it's like. Almost every fucking chapter ends with a cliffhanger kind of... Ooh, what's gonna happen next? And reminds me a lot of the writing of R.L. Stein, And I think that's why I really, really enjoyed this book up to a point. Like, there's a lot of overdramaticness. And I love... I love... When stuff is overdramatic. Like, I don't know. It, 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 that's kind of like my being. I like telenovelas. I like soap operas and stuff. And when they're overdramatic, it just makes things just fucking beautiful. And, but with this, it just made it feel fake. And I think there's another note of... You know, there's there's one thing that I noticed. That this isn't even part of my notes. Or I did write this as a note, but this is kind of one of the things... Is that there's a lot of them, like the, the main man and woman, the the, the Lutzes, they're like, I don't know, I finished reading this yesterday, I don't even remember their names. That's how much I don't fucking care. George Lutz and I don't remember the woman. They're both like, I didn't want to tell them about it. Oh, I didn't, I thought it was silly, so I wouldn't tell them about it. Like, that's used a lot in this. It makes you go... Like, if, if I was someone who was, like... If I read this in middle school, I would have been like... Oh, this proves ghosts and poltergeists and demons are real. I'm fucking scared. I'm a fucking Christian baby... Crybaby now again. But reading this as an adult with a very... I think I'm using the wrong the word for this. Scrumptious mind. That's definitely wrong. It's very wrong. But with a very open mind to stuff. You know, I'm very open-minded to, like paranormal stuff 
But when I read the Amityville Horror, this felt like a fiction book. This felt like something... Like, hell, I'm just going to read the back of the book. One of the, one of the blurbs. Because for what it's worth, this is actually a second printing edition. So me, that means there's not a lot of changes from this to the next book. Which happens between Amityville Horrors. Hmm, that's weird. Maybe it's because it's fucking fiction. Their fantastic story, never before disclosed in full detail, makes for an unforgettable book with all the shucks and gripping suspense of The Exorcist, The Omen, or Mare's, Rosemary's Baby. But with one vital difference. The story is true. That's fucking bullshit. This is fucking bullshit. Like, I'll believe for a little bit that some of this did happen, but this full book did not fucking happen to these people. And they've admitted over time that, no, not all of this fucking happened. And it's really fucking obvious if you know how to, like... If you can read between the lines and be like, this is written for entertainment's sake more than actual truthful sake. You know? And that's one of the biggest flaws. That's one of its biggest freaking flaws. Is that it's... It's fake. It's fucking fake. To quote Budship's Days of Rad. I don't... I don't know if I can really recommend the Amityville Horror. Like, if you want to read something that's kind of scary... Because that's another big thing. Is that... This book isn't that scary. I read The Exorcist this year, and that book was actually scary as shit. This doesn't have me going, oh, this is scary. This goes makes me go, oh, so this and this happened, but it's not that scary. It's, it's not a scary book. Like, maybe if you're a fucking middle schooler or a high schooler who's very superstitious, this might be the book for you. But as an adult... Who is... You know, I'm very open-minded to these kind of things. But at the same time, I'm very... I'm very knowledgeable of how these things kind of happen nowadays. Thanks to, you know, stuff like Last, pa Last Podcast on the Left and Lore. You know? Check out both those podcasts. They're both fucking awesome. But when I read this one, I was like... This feels fake because they say this so often. Because of the term... I didn't tell them, or I didn't mean to mention it, or I should have mentioned it, but I forgot. That ruins any plausibility that this is a true story. That ruins so much. And then, like, if you actually read on about the history of, of the Amityville Horror and how they're like, Oh, you know, we made it up so we can make money and stuff. And even, hell, they even admit they're kind of broke throughout this of, like, Oh, we fucked up and bought this fucking house? Oh shit, how are we gonna fucking pay for this? You kind of go about it and be like, Yeah, they did this on purpose to make money. It, 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 it's just pathetic. It's pathetic how they make you try to think, This really happened, guys. Oh, da-da-da. Amityville Horror gets a 2 out of 5, in my opinion. It's just not scary. It's not... It tries too hard to think that it's real when it's not. And that's the biggest problem with the Amityville Horror. I actually do plan on reading the Amityville Horror Conspiracy. It is on my to-read list. But I have to buy it first. So, But yeah, there is 
a lot of flaws with this book. I recommend it if you're trying to, if if you believe this kind of stuff and are like, ooh, I need to kind of have you know confirmation bias, blah blah blah. It's a good book for you, but I don't recommend it. And with that, we're gonna come to our last book slash comic book, The Flintstones. The if if in the last couple years. Like starting back in 2016, DC DC Comics started to do a kind of a weird run of Hanna Barbera, but more serious. So they did the Flintstones, they did Wacky Races, they did a Scooby Doo, and they're more for adults, for a more like mature audience, not even adults. I would say mature audience. And you know I've. I've read the Flintstones comic before this. I actually bought it on a trip to Disneyland about two years ago with my family. And was like, okay, I'm going to pick up a couple comics and stuff. And I'm going to play some video games, blah, blah, blah. And be like, okay, this will, you know, I'm going to read this on the way there. I read the Flintstones and the... I picked up two different comics. I picked up a couple different comics. I picked up Arlstein's Man Thing because I was like, I might as well try this out. I picked up Scooby-Doo Apocalypse or whatever it's fucking called. And then I picked up The Flintstones. And I think The Flintstones was the one I read last, which I kind of regret because it was probably the best one out of the bunch. Holy... No, no, it wasn't. No, Scooby-Doo Apocalypse was the one that I read last, I think. But no, I read this and was like, holy crap, this is really freaking good. So this is kind of my rereading of it after, you know, it's been two years. It's literally been two years, over two years since I last read this. Because I read it in the year of 2017 in October and is now, as of recording this, the date... Just to date this, it's November 21st. It's Thursday the 21st of November. And rereading this, this is still really good. This is still really freaking funny. It still holds up, like, uncontrollably well. And I'm just going to talk about each issue individually. Because that's the kind of thing with this. There's no continuing story, you know? It's a... It's one issue is a complete story. It's an episode of the Flintstones. Duh. So with that, let's start with issue number one, A Clean Slate. So, you know, issue one is called A Clean Slate, like I said before. And what it is, it's a good intro to the to the series itself. It's a good pilot episode, if you would. And it's literally Fred... I'm just going to assume everyone knows about the Flintstones. If you don't know what the Flintstones are, pick up a fucking remote and go watch it. It's it's alright. Go watch the movie. I don't fucking care. Just just know what the basic plot of this, what the Flintstones are. They're a modern Stone Age family. Sorry. I digress on that. Um... But this is a... The first issue is showing Fred... Is is Fred Flintstone. He is told by his boss to introduce these Neanderthals 
to um, to kind of the simulation life of what Bedrock is like, and kind of shows us what Bedrock is like. You know, we see that there. You know, Fred takes him to his. You know, his veterans meeting, which comes back. It's kind of almost foreshadowing to a future issue, of like they kind of had a shitty life beforehand. You know, they kind of fucked themselves over. <laughs> And then you have have him taking them to a MMA style fighting like match, you know, fight match. It's pretty visceral and they don't like that because it's you know, when you look at it, it's like it's literally barbarian. It's fucking cavemen beating each other fucking up. And you're like, "Oh." Mm. And then they take him, then they take then he takes them to Outback Snake House. Mm. And they kind of are like, oh, okay, whatever. You know, they're very whatever of the whole situation, you know? And then Mr. Slade invites them to a party and ends up killing one of them. You know, it's just showing us the basic life of how the modern man is. And how you're kind of put in the place of Neanderthal of like, what the fuck? (laughs) Of this whole world. And it's a good pilot to kind of let you know how things are. Along with a little B-plot of Wilma kind of saying how life was before, you know, civilization, you know? Issue number two is called Buyer Beware. It is a beautifully well-told cautionary tale of consumerism and capitalism. Of just buying crap that you don't need but you want to make sure everyone in your family is happy and loving you. I'll just leave it at that. Like, I don't want to spoil the Flintstones comic too much. I'm just going to say what each issue is kind of about. Because I only read the first trade paperback, which is the first six issues, just so you know. Sorry if I didn't mention that before. Issue... Oh, and also there's a little side plot of, like, religion being made up. Gotta love it. Issue number three is called A Space Oddity. It's kind of a commentary on how we treat veterans and also how shitty spring breakers are. It's kind of a cross plot of that one. It's very, like, that's the thing with this, is that it's it's very poking you in the wound of like, oh, you get it, you get it, don't you? Then uh, episode number four is Domestication, which is a, co- a commentary on marriage and it's definitely a very different commentary that you would expect. But it's deep and it's beautiful. Episode no, Issue number five is a commentary on politics. And a very heavy commentary on war, genocide, and just the army in general. Which you wouldn't expect from this one. And issue number six we can just skip talking about because it's my least favorite one. Uh, with that, I would definitely give a strong recommendation to the Flintstones comic book from DC Comics. It's really, it's actually pretty mature for its own, for its own good. It's very smart. Then yeah, thank you for joining me this month. Yes, this month on Dragon Book Club. I know sometimes I start off really strong and then I go kind of weak. I'm going to start only including just regular books I read so the episodes can be more based on the books than the comics and that I get kind of confused on what to talk about them with them. 
and also so I can, you know, so I don't shorten myself and be like, oh, I talked about this for so long, I need to stop talking about this. I'm going to try to just focus on the books. So from this point on, it's probably going to only be maybe three, two to three books, two, maybe four books a month. But we'll see about that. Uh, I'm your host, Christopher the Rupal. Follow me at SOW underscore podcast. That's the podcast's main Twitter feed, which you should be following because it is fucking good. And follow me, myself, my personal accounts at the underscore Rupal and for Twitter and Instagram. And for everyone else who's on the podcast, uh, for Sam, if you want the local bisexual woman, fat woman uh, thing, at Berserker Rose. If you want the uh, native people and handicap perspective, follow at Forced Left Hand Durr on Twitter, Instagram, and also YouTube. And then we have Voice of Voice of J-Rod on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, Voice of J-R-O-J-V-R-O LinkedIn. Go follow his LinkedIn. You, you heard me. Yeah, follow that LinkedIn. I'm really sorry, Juan. I fucked that up. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, 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 that's my fake Bill Dotrieve crying. I'm not really crying. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It kind of hints at what I might be reading the next couple for next month. I'm going to... I'm starting... Well, I haven't started yet, but I did pick up Johnny Got His Gun. That would have been part of this collection, but I accidentally picked up the wrong book and got Johnny Got a Gun. That is a completely different book that came out pretty close to, not super close, but kind of close to when that first one came out. I've never seen the movie Johnny Got His Gun, but I do like anti-war messages. That's why I kind of really enjoyed the Flintstone book, because there is an anti-war message in this book. So I'm pretty excited to read Johnny Got His Gun. Um, I think I'm going to read The Giver, maybe? We'll see. It's short. It's sweet. It's to the point. I got a big old pile of books that I might also read. But we will see. I also have a sequel to a book I read on the first Drunken Book Club. Find out what it is next time. I'm gonna... I'm gonna go play Pokemon Shield. Oh, sorry, Sword. If you want to add me on the friend account, message me at the underscore Rupal or at SOW underscore podcast. I'll totally help out with you kicking the ass of a giant Pokemon. Bye-bye.